last is the epic adventure that only Walt Disney Productions could bring to the screen. The island at the top of the world. powerful story of the man who at the turn of the century went out in search of his lost son and found his party carried to the top of the world to discover for the first time a fantastic lost civilization of Vikings. They can leave but one penalty for the invaders. Death. Now in the Walt Disney Jules Verne tradition, Adventure beyond the imagination. See Walt Disney Productions. The island at the top of the world. Hey dreamers, we have something special for you today as we review a movie tied directly to last week's topic, Discovery Bay, as we discussed, if you were listening to last week's review. The Island at the Top of the World was directed by Mary Poppins director Robert Stevenson. They had hoped to be the next 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It was not the next 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And uh, I'm sure we will discuss why that is. Well, oh, hi, everyone. <laughs> it's, it's me. I realized I didn't introduce myself. I just came right in with like a, with a really well. Hello, everyone. Uh, we, so, yeah, last week. Um, yeah, so earlier this week, um, I get a, a text from Ryan. He's like, can you do two episodes? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Let's crank him out. You know, let's get this production thing going. And he's like, you're going to hate me. And I step back and I'm like, is it like this four hour long deep dive into, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to sit there and, and listen around. And I get a screenshot at Disney Plus. He's like, it's only 94 minutes. <laughs> and I will tell you, it was the most grueling 94 minutes of the, <laughs> head in the last the last like three weeks. <laughs> uh I, I talked about it on the last show, but I've been like locked in my house for like a week, you know, quarantining and getting back. I got back from Florida and then, you know, I got close contact with COVID and everyone's fine. But it's like I couldn't escape this movie. And I finally sat down and watched it. And, um, you know, it's like uh, Ryan. I initially I said maybe we should just like lightly talk about it, but it seems like you have something to say. So why don't why don't I let you start the conversation with what you thought about the island at the top of the world, and I can respond with my with, with my opinions. So this this movie, uh, it's very very 
Jules Verne E. But I believe it's based on a novel called The Lost Ones by Ian Cameron. Yes. Uh, and so it's it's sort of based on sort of a Jules Verne idea, but not really. Uh, the thing about this show, uh, this movie, is that you could see exactly why, 100% why, they looked at it on the surface and saw this is a ride. This is a perfect ride. Because I personally think that the... Uh, the effects and, and for for the most part as well as the map paintings are gorgeous and the designs by Harper Goff is is beyond compare it's it's absolutely wonderful i think the hyperion airship is really striking it looks great uh you can see some of these great environmental ideas that uh come about here and there and you, you can you can see why they were thinking these things, okay? Uh, and the, the 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 strange thing though is that it's all surface level. It's all extremely surface level because the movie is boring. It's, it's horrible. really boring. It's so boring. It is so boring. I can't even. All right, so the matte painting is a hundred percent. So one mm -hmm. of the more there's a gorgeous shot in this movie of the it's like a ritual meeting room for these Norse lost civilization that happens like fifty minutes into the movie. Yeah, the first forty five minutes are just nothing. There's no movie there. It's just a little blimp flying through. And I maybe it's just HD TVs. It's fascinating the ways that effects in movies are going to capitulate as. Uh, a technology gets better because back then you had like fuzzy television, you know, VHS. So you don't see these things, but you can just plainly see the fish wire on an HD television. Uh, yeah. It's pretty rough. So, but once the movie, it's, it's an interesting balance because you told me before I watched it, that the first half of the movie is better than the second. half. Mm. I, I might actually think the opposite. The really? first half of the movie is like neat designs on the Hyperion, but one thing that's immediately clear as you start this movie, and I, I, it's frustratingly clear. David Hartman is god awful. <laughs> David Hartman's performance <laughs> is god awful. Yes, it's so bad. He just talks kind of like this in a very strange he, monotone. He talks to the audience, it's and it, it does if <laughs> I. It's almost as if he is listening to something. And then he says, this is, you know, well, the funny thing is, so I want to stop. Gee, it's here. almost as if David he Hartman's went horrible. on to become a host of a ABC's Good Morning America. Yeah. Well, the, the David Hartman, well, the ABC's, right? Um, David yeah. Hartman is, is fascinating <laughs> in this movie because it's, in a way, the best thing I can say about this movie is that it's an interesting blend between a Disney live action, you know, adventure film and a Disney Disney nature film. Uh, hmm. because David Hartman's character in numerous points in the movie just starts talking like true history and like true yeah, environmental narrating film. pretty much. Right, he narrates over like footage of reindeer that they might have had just mm -hmm. extra from a previous yeah. production. It feels like a lot of it feels like they they had a lot of access to nat nature footage and there's periods where they in the middle specifically 
where it's just David Hartman just just going over uh, mm-hmm. a lot of these things. Yeah, he feels in the movie like a very very cheap uh, Donald Sutherland. Yeah, um, I get and it. It, just because he's very like in- intellectual and kind of a mm-hmm. little uh, a little a little um, I don't want to say like smarmy, but he he's got like a, a charisma to him. But it's like a very like limited one. He's almost narrating over the plot that's happening as the film is going, right? Um, because mm-hmm. you know you have him, and then you have the plot about what the hell was his name, Doctor? Oh, we what, just talked about it. Sir Anthony Ross. Sir Anthony Ross. Thank you. Yes. Sir Anthony Ross looking for his son. Like that's the meat of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's this archaeologist is just. It doesn't make sense. It is Jurassic Park three. You're right. It is a wow. That is hilarious. It is exactly Jurassic Park three. What's fascinating though is that this guy has no reason to be there. The archaeologist. I don't know what there. He's there because he speaks Eskimo, and he has studied this. So he has, and also like Norwegian. He speaks like old Norse, right? Yeah, but translator. But that's not his. His character is he's an archaeologist, right? Mm Hmm. But archae- well, whatever. I yeah. guess in this case, he's an archaeologist and a translator, right? So mm-hmm. the, the movie is mostly just following, you know, Sir Anthony Ross. That's his name, right? I'm horrible. Yes, Sir Anthony Ross trying to get his son back, and he goes to he takes this big blimp up to or down to the the Arctic or up to the Arctic. Uh oh, I'm losing my. My marbles here, right? Yeah, it's the island at the top of the world. Of the top of the world. There we go. That's right. So they go to the top of the world. They discover this this group of people. Well, first they discover the the Eskimo people. Yeah, yeah, by Mako. Yeah, yeah. So Mako. And that's the thing. Again, pretty problematic. Um, Yeah, a lot of the (laughs) the depictions. Uh, their culture is, is 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 it doesn't stand up to the test of time. I'm fairly surprised there is no warning on the front of this. I don't movie. think they that's, expected that's, anyone to watch. Uh, it. Yeah, you beat it, me to the joke. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's gonna watch it. I mean, it's like ah, screw it, Muppets. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a Confederate flag in one episode. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so once they so the, a lot of the beginning of the first movie is just the miniature flying through. Uh, the Arctic, and then eventually uh, a big plot is revealed that comes out of complete nowhere. It feels like where the villa, the elders of this isolated civilization, where where Donald is being held, believe that should they not kill our Western, I think that's an important thing to say here. Is that even though these are like Norwegians, it's still a very like the Western intellectuals meet the savage. You know, yeah, beings from and the, from again, place. that's another problematic portion of it because right. it flips it on its ear to where they they sort of represent they represent colonization as a good thing. Well, it's yeah, it's because well, that's so obviously they're borrowing on like those the the classic stories of like you have an intellectual like a, an academic type and they visit the jungle. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they meet the tribes in the jungle and they're cannibals or whatever. And then only, you know, these academic people are so much smarter and better, but they're going to die because of the savages. Yeah. Like, and it's because the, the savages, they just don't understand what any of this is. And they see it as a right. threat. And they, they were the ones who weren't, you know, being, you know, smart enough or wise enough 
to know that this is okay. You should learn to accept different things and stuff like that. It's like, um, that's a really weird lesson to take away from this. It's fascinating because there is a little twinge of not necessarily criticism, but the main villain of the film, the people who are the guy who's leading the militant lost civilization. Yeah. His perception is that, you know, if they, if they don't kill them, right, then they're just going to bring more, Westerners and then colonize them. And and they're like, well, this is our prejudice coming through. We're so sorry that we, we, we nearly killed you out of your prejudice. And it's like, I'm sorry. Who's the prejudice one here. It feels like the filmmakers are the prejudice ones here. Well, if you, if you remember, Oh, and hopefully you don't because it was so utterly boring. But Frozen 2 had the exact same problem, right? Where yes, it, it did. It yes. took the whole like, well, these colonization, they, they, it wants to hold the colonization is bad. And then by the end, be like, okay, bad colonization is bad. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's right. wrong for bad people to come and kill all of the natives. But mm-hmm. as long as you have two really nice queens, right? In Frozen mm-hmm. 2, then it's yeah. perfectly fine. And And we don't have to let the, you know, civilization suffer for their misdeeds you just you put a wall of ice up and they'll be okay that's right so the the movie after that happens just becomes a rather a run-of-the-mill you know chase movie where the bad guys are coming and our main characters must find a way out of the the island at the top of the world right um now the reason why i thought that the first half of the movie was better than the second half is because I thought the first half of the movie had number one, it had the Hyperion, which was a very interesting vessel. And number two, it was a little bit more lively and it moved at a quicker pace. So like you get, you know, you get the very first scene and it's Anthony Ross trying to convince Iverson why they should go and why they need to go. And then we very quickly move where we, you know, we kind of get that kind of banter of, wait a second, I think we're on our way already. It's like, yep, we are. And they get mm-hmm. right to uh, Captain Brio and find the airship. <clears throat> and you you have some antics with Josephine, which is the dog who nearly dies several times. The poodle the po- that I thought the they poodle. threw out of the plane in the beginning. That would have been mm-hmm. a lot funnier. If the, yeah, like, if it's what's if funny. Like, like, wait, they just launched the poodle out. Into the, <laughs> He's the like, ocean. get this poodle off here. It's like, all right, <laughs> so we're going to have to turn back around. No, I don't want any poodles. He's like, it's a weird joke. Prejudice it's a really, poodles? Yeah. It's a really long joke about whether they need to turn around for the poodles. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you have the, the David Hartman who's just sitting there. Just yeah. like, and okay. this has the only good line in the movie, which is when mm. Captain Brio, you know, is like, you know, talking about how the propellers, because idiot Anthony Ross like runs at full steam and just murders one of the propellers. And, you know, they're like, only an idiot would do it. Let me do it. And that's that like a good, good line. That is a good line. And then for some reason they have that really pointless dramatic part where he falls off and then they just pull him back up. Yeah. So by the end of the film, uh, the, the stupid, evil, stupid, dumb, uncivilized savages see the blimp and the blimp scares them because that's, that's okay. That's fine. And I'm being sarcastic, by the way. If mm. was... <laughs> um, so, so that happens. There's a the part I want to. We're running through this plot here, but it's see two things before I go. Pausing this, it is interesting that these early Disney films can be condensed into like a 20 minute movie, and I wonder if this is intentional because of like television. Because mm-hmm. Sammy the Way Out Seal was the exact same way. Yeah, mm-hmm. is that if you can like, and Shaggy Da I think also had a 
uh, a cut as well. I'm not. I, I, think I don't so. think this one did. No, maybe. Well, I don't think anyone saw it. So, <laughs> but it's interesting because you the the plot really only it's cut up into like acts, but almost like subplots. Like you could watch part of this. Yeah, movie no, you're right. You're right. Back. It is kind of it's uh, episodic, pretty much. Because you have the beginning with the the blimp, and then meeting the people at the island, and then a whole <laughs> separate movie about a chase scene. Right. So by the end of the movie, it's revealed that the only way that they're going to let all of these people leave the island at the top of the world is if they leave one person behind. And I don't remember their justification. But the, I think it was just something silly. They need to leave a person behind to ensure that they never come back. Which is doesn't make any sense. In fact, it doesn't anything, make any sense at all. No, it doesn't. If anything, you would want to leave, to not leave anything behind. Right? Mm-hmm. Because like, yeah. that's that would stop you from coming back. You know they don't want to mm-hmm. go save this guy. So the Donald, this the the son is ready to like give himself up, and he's like, I I think I know what I have to do. I have to like, do, I yeah. Stay, and it's about to invalidate the whole plot. And I'm sitting there looking at the television, and I'm like, this is like I get it. I get what's happening here. Uh, you know, it's gonna be like a whole thing about how, you know, maybe he there is some way to like, integrate, and it's like okay. But this is kind of shitty because I just watched the whole movie and it got nowhere. And then like out of the blue, I would argue that the most undeserved ending of any movie I've ever seen happens Mm -hmm. because Donald's about to give himself up. And David Hartman is like, actually, why doesn't it be me? Why don't I stay? He's like, I'm just interested in this culture. Yeah, it's it. There's no ending to this movie. And like any like sense of emotion that you would have had had it been any other character is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because David Hartman isn't a character in this movie. And, He's and, like the and, narrator. Yeah. And he just says, oh, well, you know, if mankind kills itself, hey, this might become the place for all of us to go to. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Because the movie, it's like, it's real. Any other character would have had like some kind of an emotional finality. If it was the um, Sir Anthony R- Russo, the Russo brothers. If it was the Russo Ross. brothers, yeah, Sir Anthony Russo. If it was, if it was, is that his, isn't the director's name Anthony Russo, right? Yeah, I know his name's Ross. Anyway, so if it was Anthony Ross. No, 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 no. It's Robert Stevenson, yeah. No, no, not that director. I meant the director of Avengers, of Cherry. Oh, Anthony Rousseau. Yeah. You say Rousseau, he gets like a, it's like Jean-Luc Godard. It's like <laughs> Anthony Rousseau. He made the classic cherry. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so, so if it was, if it was Sir Anthony Ross, it would be, okay, you know, he has to like go stay behind and his son can go live a life. And like, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. he has to like learn something about other cultures if it was the girl then it's like maybe we can't connect these two cultures if it was donald maybe we can yes of course freya um but the the the, i don't even remember the name of his character david hartman's character is so meaningless yeah iverson it's so meaningless to the plot and has only served as like a way for the audience to understand the language which i will give the movie props it doesn't subtitle the language I really like that. Right. Um, it's, I always yeah, like when was, movies do cool that. Because they just like let body language there. talk over it. Well, right. And then in the there's the one scene where the evil militant guy is like hitting one of his superior or his underlings or something like that. And there's no subtitles. Mm-hmm. It's all the other language. It's always cool because yeah. it's always body language. Anyways, Iverson has nothing to do with the plot. And when he says to the audience, I'll go, 
I think the big reaction is like, all right, that, all right. that's fine. Yeah. I don't know who you, all right, it sounds good. See you later. <laughs> and then they leave. So I thought the ending of that movie, this movie is so horribly undeserved, underwhelming and awful mm-hmm. that it's almost yeah. worth watching for that. Cause mm-hmm. it doesn't, it has, it's just bad. So can we talk about the sexism that is what the Freya character because she is just all she is in this movie is to be lusted after. That's it. That's all she exists for is just for for Iverson, for Donald, for Sir Anthony Ross to just over. And it is really weird. Like they just kind of go, oh, man, if you if if, you know, I was young, if she was younger or I was younger and he's like, well, if, you know, she spent time with my son, I bet. Would you blame him? And it's so gross. I think it's fascinating because her character is like prime for some kind of an emotionally resonating moment. In fact, in that conclusion, it would have been really good to do something like that. Like you have a moment where like, you know, uh, Donald and Freya are like, oh, I can't leave you. I can't leave you. And then David Hartman steps up and is like, ah, but I will stay and I will spare you the heartbreak or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they never choose to utilize her. I think once for a single plot point. She literally serves no purpose in the movie. And, you know, I don't excuse the racism in Mako's character, but mm-hmm. at the very least, you know, Mako is playing someone who does something. Right. right. He, he, you know, the character has agency. Freya's character is there to be looked at in lightly revealing clothing for 1974 kids movies. Mm-hmm. And then she's there for two conversations, one where Iverson talks about how it's awesome that Donald uh, Anthony's son is banging her. And then another one where Anthony and Donald are like, are both talking about how exciting it is that Donald gets to bang her. So you sure are my father. You know, you sure are your father's son. That's right. Because you can of course bring her home. She's a bag. (laughs) Because he bagged a, Hot lady. Oh wow, that's who doesn't speak lovely. English. Who speak who, who speaks English only that you taught her. So right, a very communicative relationship. Yeah, it, you know, she's basically the only. Is she the only woman like really in this? She is the only woman in the entire movie. Oh my god. Oh my god. I, as far as I can remember, god. she is the only woman in the entire movie. Oh boy, hey, we're gonna make a ride on this. Well, what oh. it's it, right. <laughs> Well, it's obviously playing on like the classic. It's an interesting inversion of the academic goes to the quote unquote savage land story. And it's it's an interesting inversion like a couple of times when it's fascinated by the idea of like maybe these people shouldn't be allowed to come back because if they do leave, then, you know, they'll bring other people, other, you know, white people to come and kill everyone. And instead of Mm -hmm. taking place in the jungle, it takes place in the north. But at the same time, it carries with it the exact same stereotypes. Uh, It is no different. It leans exactly right on the hot princess savage woman who is you know domesticated by the yeah. western young pretty boy mm-hmm. um it, it, it is exactly right through that line yeah. and i wouldn't be as mad about it if the movie wasn't woefully boring so the only thing you can focus on is how absolutely evil it can be with some of its representations it's um, just so dated it's just so dull nothing mm-hmm. about it really resonates outside of again the hyperion and pierre ellen shaw's production design and the map paintings are gorgeous and that's literally all it is it's it's literally a movie that has only its surface level tendencies 
to impress and nothing else seeps through the robert stevenson movie i'm done i'm done with the mary poppins positivity we can't oh do that God. anymore mary <laughs> poppins is good for 25 minutes and then there's the most boring <laughs> movie ever made until the end Oh my God. Mary Poppins is just as boring. You haven't made in the enough enemies part. enough today. There's the part where they're they're all in the the guy's house at the table, and there's the song that I cannot remember that feels like it goes on for thirty minutes. And Mary, Poppins. I love to laugh. That that's it. That's exactly right. Yeah, there's that one period right around that scene that's just horrible. Ryan doesn't like to laugh, <laughs> and I know this. I I know this, and I'm certain of this because Mary Poppins Returns has the exact same plot, and it's exactly as boring in the exact and same they, spot. They meet Topsy, <laughs> Topsy. That's right. That's it. Is it is Topsy? Yeah, I remember that. I saw that in theaters, and I was horribly <laughs> bored. I think that this. Hey, movie, Mary I mean, Poppins is good. I want to hear slander, sir. I mean, what if I see Shaggy Da of this guy Robert Stevenson? <laughs> Which was also awful. Which is, I mean, you know. I'll give him the the I'll give him the credit. He was a classic Disney director, but I think it's time that we we step back from the belief that that, that this was any good. Darby O'Gill <laughs> though is really good though. I I lied. I forgot. Darby O'Gill is really really good. Mm-hmm. That darn cat is not. <laughs> <laughs> but Darby O'Gill is fantastic. I was you, wrong. You don't like uh, take it back. Main, old Yeller. I didn't see that. I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm no, 21 years Buggy's old. Good. The first. I didn't yeah, have VHS when I was young. I, <laughs> I did for a couple of years, but I didn't grow up on these horrible <laughs> movies. What I want okay. here's what um, I want. Here's so... what I'm excited for. So when I was young, I was no 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 no. What I what I want is I want so when I was young, I would always like find like old movies on like DVD and stuff like that. Or I would like read about old things. I want the kid who's like eleven years old right now, and all he's obsessed with are the Disney direct to television movies. And the and, and other movies. Well, I guess this wasn't directly television, but there's gonna be like an era of like you know kids who no one talks to at school, and all they do is come home and watch unidentified flying oddball. And I think that, I that, that again. that'll be an exciting development. What do you want? What do you want me to talk uh, about this movie? There's nothing happens. I, <laughs> I think we should uh, wrap it up. I don't, I don't really think there's much else to say here. <laughs> Your silence speaks wonders. Next time I, I know. Pick oh is that a promise if you give me if you give me a a week i've got a good movie on disney plus if you give me i want next bonus episode i want to pick the movie i want to pick the the disney plus movie that we review and i i cannot handle these movies anymore these jingle all the way to (laughs) this one Okay. Like, I can't. I can't promise um, that it'll have to do with an unbuilt attraction. Is a problem. <laughs> okay. So, in the meantime, please follow us on social media at Twitter at Unbuilt Pod. You can reach me at Open Mother's Mail and Ryan Dorman <laughs> at Open the Ma- at Dorman. Feel free to email us at unbuiltpod at gmail.com and rate us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Anchor or wherever you find this podcast. Please write a review and tell us how we're doing. If you don't like us, thank you for listening to Thirty Twenty Eight. I'm Matt Parrish. All right. Have a great day, guys.